This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody, football is back and this is the Analyzing Anfield podcast. I'm Christian Walsh and with me as always is Josh Williams. We're speaking on Tuesday morning, about 48 hours, a little bit less, after Liverpool's first uh, game of the season, the curtain raiser against Manchester City at Wembley Stadium. We all know the score, we all know what happened, we all saw it, I'm sure. Um, before we, we get into the nitty gritty, Josh, um, how did you find the game? And ultimately, I suppose, one of the big questions is, were you bothered? Uh, I found the game a bit weird, to be honest. It was it was very much, it was a bit like a friendly, but crossover to a competitive game, I think. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a weird watch. I think I'd have cared if we'd have won. But Everyone I, said I, that I, before, no, I, think, I, didn't I think I was the opposite to what Klopp said. I think Klopp said the opposite, didn't he? What did Klopp say in his press? I think he says, nobody cares if you win and everybody well, cares me, if you lose. For me, it was the other way around. If we'd have won, I'd have been out like, yeah, it's a trophy sound. But because uh, we didn't, I just tried to just immediately turned off. Didn't I haven't seen him lift a trophy yet. Neither did there many Man City fans either, to be honest. They were, <laughs> yeah, they were, yeah. they were all down the M25. Yeah, I heard about that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's, it was it was a strange match to be honest. But we'll we'll get into it anyway. Yeah, I suppose I suppose just starting in general. How much can you deduce from this sort of game? Is it a friendly? Is it not a friendly? Klopp was sort of positioning it as a friendly, but it didn't really feel like a friendly, especially in the second half. The intensity was was off the charts. Yeah, no. If, if I was to define it, I'd I'd steer away from the friendly thing. Um, not because the team Klopp selected. I think people will look at team Klopp selected and think. He wants to win it, he's, he's going for it. But I think it was more a case of immediately get the players you need for the season, get the minutes quickly for Norwich kind of thing. So I think that was the thinking there. But, yeah, with the rivalry there as well, it's another trophy, the mental aspect of we've got one over you, that kind of thing. I do think it will it will have been one that both managers wanted to win. And I think, judging by Pep as well, over the course of the match on a touchline... He doesn't have moan. Do you uh, know what I mean? He's really on his toes the whole match. Nailed on to be the first manager to be booked. Yeah. As I say, yeah. he's a man who, despite the fact that it seems like he has absolutely everything in the world, an amazing world-class team, all the money he wants in the world to spend, apart from Harry Maguire, apparently, he's always got the demeanour of a man whose milk's on the turn in the fridge. He's, <laughs> he's always sitting there and there's something wrong. So No, I think, if, I think what it is, is though, it stems from the fact he's a control freak. Mm. And Liverpool are one of the very, very few teams out there that do not allow him that control. We, we're not willing to give him it. So I think he, he doesn't like facing us. He's uncomfortable when he is facing us, even with a lead. And he just doesn't enjoy enjoy facing us. It's as simple as that, really. As a result, he starts acting up in, in, in ways that, you know, you don't usually see. I, I do like Pep, but he's he does, as I said, a bit of a control. He wants it all his own way and... It can't always be like that in football, so you'll be able to deal with that. I think I described the Community Shield as a bit like Coke Zero or, you know, Faf Free Cheese or <laughs> a Tarantino movie where all the goals are edited out. It, 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 it is sort of a, a proper game of football, but it can at times be a bit of a pale imitation. So we will move on to the nitty gritty, uh, to the analytics behind the game. First of all, Josh... How did Liverpool play? I thought it was a game of two halves. I thought first half they were awful, and at half time I was vocal. Uh, I was in the lucky enough to be in the, in the press room for um, for the game. I was, I was very vocal in the in the press room at half time, worried that 
Liverpool were were on the decline. It just shows you how, how football can make a mug of you because 45 minutes later, I thought Liverpool were absolutely primed to, to go toe-to-toe with Manchester City again this season. So how did you think they played overall, the good and the bad? Yeah, I think the first half, we definitely looked off it. We definitely looked, not in a different league, but just the tempo. One of the things we're very good at over the past year or so, reason we did so well in the Champions League is because we're just so fast. Every, every aspect of our game, the high tempo, people just can't deal with us, fitness and things like that. But we haven't had that because of the lack of pre-season, players coming back, City having more players from the start. So we just we, we didn't really have that, that tempo to match them. I think I think it really offered an insight as well into how how much of how much defending plays on styles of play that, that Klopp and Pep like to impose. They're obviously both very proactive managers, very assertive in the way that they play. And I think people overlook sometimes how much defending plays a part in that. I think City in the first half were just the better defenders in terms of, you know, proactive defending on the front foot, getting tight. Um, immediately regaining the ball and that sort of thing and I think in the second half it was just a case of Liverpool were better with that Liverpool were hungry without the ball more in your face and it, it's a bit of an age old saying but it does set the tone for for the course of the match and I think you know Graham Soon's um, punts like that get slated a little bit on Sky when they say like tactics don't matter it, it's, it's about who's first to the ball he sounds a bit like a dinosaur saying that but there's an element of truth in it. It 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 does. It is about who applies the game plan more aggressively in in matches like that. Tunes doesn't mean it like that. He just wants he just wants them yeah, to win just, the ball. But yeah, he's he right in what he says. Yeah, Carol Tesla flagging him under the pitch. <laughs> but uh, it, it does, as I said, there's an element of truth in that you have just got to be hungry without the ball, and you've got to be more on your face, more assertive. Um, and I think as I said, the the game of two halves thing. That's that's what it stemmed from for me. It was it was which team was defending better rather than which team was specifically behaving better with possession. I think it just stemmed all from um, which team proactively regained the ball quicker and hungrier and as a team, as a unit and, you know, allowed fewer spaces to open up and things like that. Van Dijk showed that, didn't he? I suppose he, first half he looked more or second half he was back to his, his best. So I suppose we'll just sort of go on. Point now, he got dribble past. He did supposedly. Well, I did okay. see it. I did see it, and it registered in my head immediately when it happened. I missed it. I I completely missed it. When no, was immediately, it? Immediately, it was um, about seventy odd minutes. Gabriel Jesus centre of the pitch around the um, kickoff spot, and the ball looks as though it's loose. Looks like Van Dijk's going towards it, and Jesus puts his foot on the ball and drags it inwards towards his body, and then in an opposite direction. Um, before Van Dijk can get a touch on the ball but he doesn't get past him <laughs> he just gets away from him and then lays it off to his teammate so I did think at the time was that a dribble pass it was a, it was a weird thing it's, so it's a good job I got that piece in a couple of weeks ago yeah if you want to read that that's on LFC stories it's about the uh, the art of, of, of being of making yourself dribble resistance dribble I believe that's yeah. how, how you put it new Josh little, new little concept yeah Yeah, but um, also David Maddock of the uh, of the mirror um Great fella, and and you know he sort of he, he's pointed out that um, you know the community shield is actually a, a, a competitive game. Yeah, well that's another thing worth noting. Yes, so we I can would, carry it on. I would we note we that, can yeah. carry it on. And the piece that I done was all the stats and that were based on Premier League anyway. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, we, we still carry it on. If we don't want to count it, let's not count it. But the, the other thing as well is that, is it the worst thing if, if, if let's say, on the opening day of the season, uh, Max Adams, for, for whatever reason, I suppose he's a right back, he wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily do it. But let's say Pookie dribbles past him because we can, maybe he'll get stopped asking about it in, in, in press conferences and maybe we can just sort of, you know, Opta won't have the same tweet coming out every single time <laughs> and all these, you know, banter accounts. Let's just get it out the way. Let's just say he's been dribbled past and let's just crack on with him just being the world's best defender in every aspect possible. Yeah. Because um, as you said, you know, it's, it doesn't necessarily reflect it. it. It's crazy that people are saying, oh, Van Dijk getting dribbled, not, isn't getting dribbled past, he's an elite defender. That doesn't work. That's not what makes him an elite defender. No, no. As, you'll exp- as you explained in the piece, Two of the two of the highest, or two of the lowest dribble pass defenders are. Where's Morgan? Yep, Harry Maguire. Well, there we go. Lascelles was in there. Chris Morgan was in there. So, I think Van Dijk's the best of that type of defender. The the best of that like. I think like a cover type defender where you um, you allow the opposing player to sell himself before you sell yourself, and because you're so big, you can act as an obstacle block off a serious amount of the field, force the player onto his weak foot and stuff like that. Van Dijk's the best at that, the most composed, extremely heavy as well, big obstacle, fast. So he's extremely difficult to dribble past him. Jesus, although he got... He did dribble, but he didn't get past him. I don't know, it was a, it was a weird one. It was a strange, strange one, but... He wouldn't if, register on your snickometer anyway. Yeah, maybe not, maybe not. So we'll, I suppose we'll we'll split this into two bits, and the way I've, I've split it up in the, in the pre-show agenda is the two. So we won't go chronologically. We'll talk about more Liverpool and a little bit of City. So um, Mo Salah, I I I thought he was a man of the match. I couldn't believe it was given to Kevin De Bruyne oh, in the no. ground. I couldn't uh, believe disgrace. it. Um, but ten shots. Uh, I thought he was incredible. Otherwise, I thought he looked unplayable. And okay, he's up against Zinchenko, who isn't necessarily City's first-choice left-back, but he might be City's first-choice left-back because Mendy's an Cripples. absolute pain in yeah, the backside. Yeah. And also Guardiola clearly just can't be bothered with him. And then he brought back Angelino, of course. It wouldn't surprise me if we see him at some point, you know, shorting up that left-hand side spot, given what you've said about him. But he looked unplayable. I thought he looked a lot like a 17-18. The only thing that was missing was his, his finishing touch. So... It, this bodes well for the season that he came back from the World Cup and he clearly had the Champions League final both physically and mentally um, wearing him down he had the World Cup wearing him down a little bit and he didn't quite look like himself he's come back he looks fitter he looks stronger he looks tactically sharper as well he was picking up all the right positions for me yeah I thought he was superb I, I wrote a piece on it yesterday just to ensure that no kind of narrative goes towards the way of um you know, Salah cost Liverpool a game because he missed so many shots or something like this because it was just nonsense. He should be absolutely praised for being such a threat during the match. Liverpool, according to Weisskopf, had 17 shots. Salah was directly involved with 11 of them. Um, 10 shots himself and he sets up one for Shaqiri, I think. There might even be more, I'm not, I'm not even too sure, but that's 64.7% of Liverpool's shots that he was directly involved with. Um, and considering the amount of minutes he's played over the course of the past year. That is one worry regarding um, not getting a back-up to the front three. It's not necessarily that the front three get injured. It's that playing so often affects your quality on the pitch, but Salah didn't look like he was suffering from that any time soon. At least he looked extremely sharp. 
10 shots is ridiculous. Um, the most he took throughout the whole of last season was against Bournemouth. That was eight shots. Um, is that home or away? That was at home. home. That was at Anfield, yeah. Got a hat trick away as well. <laughs> he did, yeah. Yeah. I might have missed it. I'm not sure. It's, when, you, when you're scrolling down, mm. the amount of oh, shots. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Tons. But yeah, I just thought he was ridiculous. I, th- I think that generally in football, football analytics and stuff like that, the more shots you take, the more goals you tend to score. Mm. So, and it's it's not an easy thing to manipulate and manoeuvre situations so that you can get a shot away. Um, so I just think if if people are going to get dig him out, maybe Salah should have scored. He should be credited for being able to get into those positions and take those shots. And you know, in the piece, just for a little example. Divock Origi took one shot over the course of the match. Jesus, zero. Sterling, three. So for Salah to take ten. Against elite opposition as well. Against elite opposition, yeah. And that's worth noting. City concede. City allow about 5.3 shots on their, on their goal during the course of 90 minutes over the course of last season. Um, I'll expand on that a little bit when we go into the next point. Um I think there was a point where you said, and when did City last post numbers like that? Yeah, we'll get on to that. Yeah. But I just think Salah's performance was incredible. Um, he's going to be my FPL captain on the first day of the season. <laughs> Triple him. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> as I said, he just looks extremely hungry and he he looked, he was the ultimate threat, definition of a threat. Um, possibly put a bit of doubt in Pep's mind over Zinchenko, mm. you know what I mean? So, very, very top attacker. Definition of a top attacker. He, uh, he he reminded me a little bit, and this 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 might sound like a, a, a negative. It's not. He reminded me a little bit of Arjen Robin on Sunday in terms of he get the ball in the same position, and you kind of knew what he was going to do, but they just couldn't stop him. Yeah, you couldn't stop him. Yeah, and, and all he needed to do was find that one Robin shot into the top corner. I mean, I mean, I thought the shooting was decent anyway. He was fine from the corners. Mm. He, he, it's not like. I get well, the post, yeah. He hit the post, yeah. Again, margins, small margins. Yeah, I get I get frustrated when, when players maybe hit hit all their shots down the middle and the keeper collects them easily. But Salah was I'd rather a player miss whilst aiming for the corners than get it on target, but it's feeble and mm. right down the middle. And Salah Salah mixed up his shots well, I thought he hit the post. Um he was unpredictable. Uh, a post far post. Yeah, 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 just a, a very high quality performance and one that he would usually score I think I, I mean if he, if he's to keep up even half that output five shots a match over the course of the season which won't happen it'll be lower than that but he's going to score all kinds of, if if he's posting anywhere near numbers like that it's just a bit of an anomaly that he, that he had ten shots and not actually score from any of them the only criticism I'd say is his headers probably should have been a little bit stronger. That's, <laughs> yeah. that, that's the one thing he's got to work on because yeah. he should have gone straight in. But what, yeah. what a clearance. It's unfortunate that Kyle yeah. Walker so quick. Yeah, what a, what, what a clearance. Um, okay, so we'll move to the midfield. Um, again, it was it was almost like a game of two halves with them, especially with uh, with Henderson. Um, you know, but, but the subs were the, were, were the things that changed this mainly, especially Naby Keita. So... They weren't great in the first half. In fact, I thought they were, you know, really, really poor to be honest. But does that midfield of, and I know we we redefined Henderson now as a more of an attacking midfielder, more of a number eight, but he's still not necessarily what you'd say is a Cater or an Oxley Chamberlain in in his in his ways. Um, but he's certainly closer to it than let's say a Wijnaldum or a Fabinho. But let's say that Fabinho Henderson Wijnaldum trio. 
does that only really work if the fullbacks are in full form and with the full front three? Yeah, I'd say that's a good midfield if you're playing Norwich, for mm. example. It offers really good central coverage, central protection, and it allow it would allow Robertson to enter both bomber down the sides. But against City, because of the play, I mean, Leroy Sane was all over Trent at the start. Trent couldn't yeah. get forward. So you can't get forward when you're dealing with a player like that. And that's why last season I wrote, uh, must have been at least three pieces, just different way, different words each time, different ways of wording at each time. On um, when that's the problem, you have to have a penetrative midfield threat like an ox, possibly a cater. You know, someone like that. That's why I thought maybe we'd be linked with an, a player like that. Uh, I, I suggested someone like Julian Brandt, maybe, mm-hmm. didn't I, at the start of the summer. Well, they were interested. Bruno Fernandes has been linked to players like this who can just operate as that fourth attacker if if the fullbacks can't get forward. It's all, it's a number eight, but they're playing almost as a number ten. Or maybe it's a number yeah. ten who's dropping deep as a number eight. Yeah, it's a, an eight and a half, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, To use the old Brendan phrase. Yeah. <laughs> His hours yeah. and courses. Yeah, yeah. But Ox is very good at doing it because he's had natural uh, time spent over seasons as a as a winger, as a wide player. So he's he's got that natural tendency and the mobility as well, the power to support the front line whilst also being able to have enough about him to get, actually get back into the midfield if if the ball's lost. So I, I, I did find that a little bit strange because. I do like Henderson as an eight, but he's not much of an attacking eight. He's a, he's a highly mobile, aggressive eight where he's just causing a bit of chaos around him because of his pressing tendencies. And but he's just he's got zero threat about him. He's just I mean I, I even saw training drills a couple of weeks ago on just a Liverpool account. I think just posting training drills and even his finishing is just very basic. Like <laughs> he's just not a threat. He's just he's gonna cause he's gonna be creative in in a more chaotic sense just mm. by disrupting a couple of bobble bounces and yeah, yeah. off the and shins and yeah. you know, loose balls to Salah that kind of thing yeah and even that he, I don't think he was particularly great at doing he, he had a goal don't get me wrong but I don't think it was Henderson's best match even his first touch his control was a bit off especially in that first half so yeah I think the the, the midfield changes in the second half are really welcomed and it's something to definitely consider when we're playing these big matches against High-quality opponents, but particularly high-quality opponents that have got good wide players. Just consider throwing a bit more of a midfield threat in there and, and instructing maybe, just say to Trent, have a bit more of a a cautious game where you're a bit deeper today. Just give yourself that m- bit more protection. Oxl support Salah, you know, something like that. Um, it is an option there then, and this is what happened in the second half. You, you go Gomez right back. Yeah, it is. That was why last week, during the summer, I mentioned wan because that would be an option that you'd get from the squad if you've got such an attacking left winger, for example, on the opposing team. Throw wan in there, give him purely defensive duties, pretty much, and let Ox do the support to Salah, let Ox do a bit of the wide roaming. Um, but, and Gomez does that well. I mean, people had a problem when we, when we played Barcelona away at the new Camp. And Gomez played right back. I, I I had zero issue with it at all. Trent, as good as he is, incredibly high ceiling. He is not the best defensively, let's be honest. And he would, Trent would have been up against Phil Coutinho that, that day. He was incredibly technically good. So 
I think it makes sense. It's it's a it's a nice option to have there. I think Gomez signed that right back. I think he. I think he. Don't get me wrong. I do prefer him as a centre back. But if he plays right back, people seem to have a bit of an issue with it. But as long as it's in the right matches, when when we don't need Trent as an offensive force as much, I've got no issue with Gomez playing right back. That's it. You go with Gomez, say in the new camp. Yeah. Um. And it's but, but Wembley. You know what I mean? That, that that's that's okay. Um, what what you need is you you can't have the midfield of no Henderson, Wijnaldum, and Milner, for example. No, if you have Gomez as your right back, you then want, as I said, Ox as your your right midfielder or Naby somewhere in there. Mm. Although he naturally drifts out left, doesn't he? His inclination yeah, is to yeah. go left, but yeah. I suppose that also shows you why Liverpool were interested in, let's say, a Lloyd Kelly, yeah, um, over the summer because. I think he would be in the Gomez defensive, mould. Yeah, defensive mould, yeah. So if you ever need to give Robertson the, the, the week off or you want to play somebody a little uh, you know, a little less attack-minded, you can put maybe Kelly in there and then you put Naby Keiser as one of the eights. Yeah, I just think it's an interesting squad, squad option to, to look towards. We obviously don't seem to be doing it that much. Just by having two first-choice full-backs who are very offensive... And maybe having the backup ones just very defensive. I just think it's an, it's a nice option to have. We've got a kind of with Gomez on the right, but on the left, the backup at the minute looks like it's Larucci, doesn't it? And mm. he's he's, he's, he's just a as offen- yeah, just a, as offensive minds as Robertson is. Yep. The the changes you know in midfield as well. Probably this is the thing. I feel like when you when you when people slam the midfield or they, they blast the midfield. I feel like you've got to remember what what was in reserve, and I think more than any other position on the pitch, it is about it's, it's almost a jigsaw, and it's how different options work with with each other. So, as you've mentioned there, in terms of it's it's about the balance, not just with the three midfielders, but how the fullbacks operate as well. When Kaiser comes on, and lastly Ox and Lallana, it looks completely different. It, it it changes, and and it doesn't necessarily coincide with Liverpool going into the ascendancy in the game, but I certainly think Keita coming on, Liverpool was so strong in that last 20 minutes, and you see the case of that, maybe Liverpool was starting, to, certainly what the, the, the case that they were expecting at the start of last season, certainly the case of that was starting to show a little bit before he got injured at the end of last season. He's getting on to, he's, he, he, he's tracking back, he's winning challenges, he's going forward, he's not getting picked up and having shots un- undetected on the edge of the box, you know, good save by Bravo there. So Liverpool do have options in the midfield. The, the, there's no doubt about that. Is this the year of the year of the Ox? <laughs> you know, to give it a headline, you know, but is it the year of the Ox? Is it the year, year of Keita? Is it the year of Lallana? Is this where these kind of guys, I know everybody's been saying, oh, Lallana, new signing, but can those three, Completely help transform, not all together, but as part of. No, I agree. Yeah, a midfield. Uh, definitely, yeah. That's this is what I think. I've been asked by, by the Echo a couple of times now to to write, you know, how I think Liverpool will develop on the pitch this season. What the next developments is, because last season the development seemed to be, basically learn how to control matches, mm. learn how to sit on leads and stuff like that. And obviously, we ended up developing by having a cautious midfield with. Very offensive fullbacks. I think this season would now be hopefully coming on a bit more. And Ox now being fit, I've said a couple of times that I think that the the next stage of our development is when we need to, we can mix it up by going very attacking in the midfield, um, having a very attack mid, 
very attacking midfield. Hopefully instructing the fullbacks to be a bit more defensive. And I think in, in the match against City, I think one thing that mixed it up is both Keita and Lallana can pass forwards. It sounds a bit, it sounds crazy, but Wijnaldum, you know, anyone that's followed us for a while will will know that he is not the most progressive midfielder. He he can get out of tricky situations, but he's really not inclined to pass forwards through balls. You know that kind of player. Cases the polar opposite in that regard. Cases will try things going forward. Lallana, although he's completely toothless in most in most aspects, especially in terms of like you know decisive final third output. He is an incisive cue passer. He's um, technically good, good little link player to have. Um, so I think Cater and Lallana and Ox offer a similar degree of press resistance to um, Wijnaldum, for example. But they offer that forward intent as well um, that Trent and Robertson usually have to provide. So I think it's definitely something to watch over the course of the season and I think it'll it'll definitely help us, particularly... We seemed to struggle away last season in, in big matches, I'm thinking. They didn't win one. Yeah, well, I'm thinking Napoli, United, uh, Everton, City, Arsenal. Oh, they won Tottenham, sorry, they beat Tottenham. Chelsea, we drew, we beat Tottenham, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were all matches whereby we, the fullbacks can't get us forward as much. So you're reliant on the midfield to get up and support. We now have Ox. We hopefully will have Keita a bit more of a, a bit more involved this season. So I think that's definitely something to watch in terms of development this season, just how we how we are now a bit more able to tackle that that problem of, OK, your fullbacks can't get forward, how are you going to solve that? Interesting to note those type of games as well. So PSG, James Milner penalty, Manchester United, no goals, Everton, yeah. no goals, Chelsea, what's the XG on Sturridge's shot? It's yeah. 0.001. I think as well, too, Salah really underperformed in, in those, when I say underperformed, well, I mean just, Played badly, really, mm. in those matches, but I don't think it it mainly stemmed from him. I think a lot of it stemmed from just a complete lack of support, operated operating in an isolated way, and it's it's you know he's getting doubled up, doubled up on and things like that. So if he's getting supported, you're giving opposing teams a different problem. Then mm. you're giving you're giving them more of an issue because Salah's not the only man you're dealing with. You're dealing with Ox running beyond them, Trent maybe running beyond them. It's a different dynamic to, to watch this season, particularly big matches, I think. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just wanted to very, very quickly bring up Rodri. I think I slept on him as a sign, and to be honest, I, I think I maybe read a couple of tweets that were saying, oh, he's nowhere near as good as Busquets and, and Fernandinho, and he's not a Guardiola midfielder, but he, he, he's good. He, he's good, he's big, he looks durable. Um, I'm not sure what his injury record was at Atletico, but it feels to me as if City would not sign a player if it was poor. Yeah, I feel like it's good, yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's City there. And, and this all folds into basically improvements for City. So Liverpool got 97 points last season. Manchester City got 98. Um, Liverpool, let's face it, if they want to win the Premier League, for example, they have to finish above Manchester City. They have to accrue more points than Manchester City in 38 games. I feel like if Liverpool want to win the Champions League again, one of their only real obstacles is Manchester City in a two-legged game. 
or a final, of course. But you know, over two legs, I'd probably be more confident over two legs than a final, funnily enough. But you know, that that's that's by the by. But the problem is, you can talk about Liverpool and what they've done this summer and, and how they're going to improve. But it looks like City are improving. So they signed Rodri, record fee, um, and then it's about marginal gains and. Man City score from a set piece and Man City do not normally score from set pieces. It was the one weakness in their game and already they look very dangerous and I know that you have got, it's not even a theory, but you've basically got the the, the, the scoop on this, on, on why City have already started looking good on set pieces. Yeah, this is an important point to make and I'm going to provide a public service across <laughs> the course of the season, making uh, every team I can aware of the set pieces City are doing. Because I'm pretty sure that they'll have picked up on Liverpool last year. We scored 29 last season to City's 15 from set pieces. That's a serious difference considering the two teams are often at, are, are competing at the elite level, really. Um, 16% of City's goals came from set pieces last season. Lowest percentage in the Premier League. Um, and over the course of the summer, they recruited at least one set piece performance analyst um, so it everything just pointing towards we're going to start making use of set pieces we're not going to take them short anymore which is what Guardiola's teams have done historically everywhere he's been just take short corners keep the ball mainly because he's had small players really uh, but also because he's he's had maybe a bit of a lack of interest of, of exploiting those modern set piece routines that you can mm. really 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 gain an edge and if, if you're in a big high profile match between the two teams that are hard to separate if what separates you is is a set piece routine it's absolutely worth the time behind the scenes so City's opening goal set piece and it was very clearly a premeditated routine uh, you've got two players standing over the ball Silver and De Bruyne that's not uncommon but he played it short to Zinchenko in the centre of the pitch. He played it further away to Kyle Walker. By the time Kyle Walker receives the ball, De Bruyne and Silva are both on the bike towards the back post. Um, but bear in mind, Liverpool wall, Liverpool defence is hovering towards Walker in the opposite direction. So Walker just plays a diagonal pass towards the back post. De Bruyne heads it down. Silver knocks it on, Sterling finishes. Very clever little moves that would have been premeditated before the match, pre-planned. Um, and the, as I said, they can make a big difference. Huge difference in, in very tight knockout fixtures in Champions League, for example, which they can't seem to get past a certain phase. Uh, so it's definitely something to watch this season, and it's a bit of a concern because it's, it's a way in which we bridged the gap last year. We definitely identified set pieces as an edge that teams basically weren't taking note of. I mean, hired the throwing coach. Yeah, we hired a throwing coach. Yeah, uh, it's just a, a really underutilized tool. Um, I'm just thinking of little little things that maybe people wouldn't pick up on, like against Spurs at Wembley last season. We just put Van Dijk right on. I think it might have even been Vaughn. It was Vaughn. Yeah. Vaughn. Yeah. I'm not sure on the height of Vaughan, but I know Van Dijk's taller. And just that 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 is a premeditated move because it's it's causing a problem. It's giving the opposing team a problem to solve 
little bit of disorganisation there, and we ended up scoring from it. And uh, Wijnaldum scored. It was headed off the line, but it was given us a goal. Uh, we also did it away to Newcastle. Van Dijk again, but this time Van Dijk scored. That was under a little premeditated move where Mane and maybe one other player took, I think, three Newcastle defenders away, including Lascelles. Van Dijk completely on his own. Van Dijk finished. So if this is something that City are going to now look on uh, to build on and to start working on, putting effort towards behind the scenes, it's definitely worrying, <laughs> to say the least. And as we say, marginal gains, we talk about, what was it, 12 millimetres at the Etihad. And yeah. I mean, you look at the off the line and the one that hit the bar and came out from Van Dyke. And obviously penalties, small margins, and City seems to be winning them at the moment. So let's hope that Manchester City don't. Despite all of those, you know, little marginal gains that they, that they enjoyed, they, I think they were battered in the second half. I think there's no other way of putting it. I just wanted to pose to you. So, 17 shots, 9 on target. Liverpool posted an XG of 1.89. When is the last time anyone posted numbers against City? And is this A, good news for Liverpool? B, good news for Liverpool in the sense that City are fallible? Or C, a little bit of both? I think it's probably more a case of good news for Liverpool Mm. rather than City now being on the decline. Um, I don't think the XG is particularly, you know, amazing. It's more a case of the 17 shots. I've got a bit of a banter stat on this because I tried to find the last time that happened. City allowing 17 shots on their goal. You're going to tell me like Stuart Pearce was the manager or something here. Take off was up front. I'm going to say now, I'm going to say, do you want to have a guess? But you, you, you probably won't guess it. G- you, give me an idea of the year. Well, I think if you were to ask me this question, what I'd what I'd guess would be we it would be Liverpool. The 4-3. Four, 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 three. That day, we had 16 shots. So one off the 17 we had in the Community Shield. There was also a match in the Champions League against Monaco. The 5-3 was that? The Etihad one, was it? Yes. 5-3, yeah. They conceded 15 that day. At the Etihad? Yeah, 15, yeah. Um, but there was one more. Last it season or? It might have, I can't even remember, you know, it might have even been without Pep, I'm not sure. 2016. Was 2016, it the, by the way, I'll say that again. 2016. Three years. Three years away. Was it the Chelsea 3-1? It was Chelsea. When they won at the Etihad? And Aguero got sent off? I don't know. No. no? It was Stamford Bridge. Chelsea five one in an FA Cup match. I don't particularly remember it very well. I don't well, remember so that game. You don't. Diego Costa scored the opener. I know that. So Man City lost five one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. I need to find this. Um, man, you. If Diego Costa scored the opener, was Pep there for that? Pep. Yeah, be. Pep was there for for a year. With Diego Costa still in the league and all that, because Diego Costa fell out with Conte eventually, didn't he? It was Pellegrini. Was a Pellegrini, yeah. It's Pellegrini. Well, the 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 headline on the BBC, the first um the first paragraph says Chelsea stripped aside the below strength Manchester City team containing five teenage full debutants. Yeah, <laughs> so well, there we go. Yeah, well it was definitely um, a rotated side. <laughs> I'm gonna have a look at the team. 
but a five-one, I, I seriously. My word, no, we we can't have that as a stat. Some of the, my word, <laughs> my word. The back, the back five were Caballero, Zabaleta. Um, I can't say his name. It's, it's the, the um, Adarabio. Yeah, 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 the, the, yeah. The young lad who's gone to. Uh, he thinks he's in the championship at the moment. Demichelis and Kolarov. Oh Jesus <laughs> Christ! It's a shambles, that isn't it? Oh, there's some players I've. Um, Garcia, Javi Garcia, Garcia Alonso. Don't know who he is. Fernando, not Fernandinho. Based on Chilina, Ianacho, and Faupala. Yeah, that's a shambles, that. That doesn't so, count. <laughs> so we, we can, unless I've missed one on the, on the course of scrolling right the way down the screen, that's the first time City have allowed 17 shots on the goal under Pep. And the last time it happened was a game that, again, I just barely even remember, 5-1 against Chelsea, Pellegrini. You probably don't remember because the lad who scored for City um, is now... Unattached, he hasn't got a club. He last played for Apollo and Limassol. <laughs> David Faupala. Well, that's the um, the banter for the week. That I think that's just, <laughs> that was crazy. But yeah, I think um, that's how we bring in the masses. That's that's <laughs> yeah. how we go big. Yeah, I think it's the, it, it offers an insight, though, doesn't it? Into, it's into Liverpool's relentless attack. And I'm not sure how many shots we had in, in the last like three to five minutes. It felt like we had a, a fair few to win the game at the end, but we just we didn't slot. Um, but yeah, make no mistake, City allowing 17 shots on their goal, even if it was a friendly, unheard of. And another thing as well, another little bit of stats, this was a mad one. We won the possession in the match. So when when was the last time you think City lost the possession under Guardiola? Mm. You will not get this. This is mad. <laughs> I don't know what happened. So it was not like an Everton, the Everton four City nil. No, because that was real counter attacking. Nobody listening to this will know. Nobody. I'd be surprised anyway. Go on. It was a week earlier <laughs> against a team called Yokohama FM in a friendly. The Bruins scored. It's like a radio team, like a, I, a radio I, station. I've, I've Eleven. No, I've got no idea. <laughs> I've got no idea. I don't know where it was. Yeah, hang on. It was. It was in Yokohama, so. The Bruins scored, Sterling scored, so I'm assuming it was a decent team. I got up the team now. Um, yeah, Bernardo Silva, <laughs> Levi Sane, Rodri. I don't know what happened, but Yokohama had 58% possession over City's 42. So at City 1-3-1, but I'm absolutely, I don't know what happened there. Could just be um, Guardiola trying to come to the second game, couldn't it? Just, just let let, let yeah, them have maybe, let them have the ball and let's see what happens. Yeah, maybe so. But uh, I, when I, I thought I'd be in for a longer look than than, <laughs> than a week, uh, that was a mad one. Yeah. So we'll move on now to Liverpool versus Norwich, Real Park, uh, Man City. I, I, as, as I said, I don't feel like it's it's the sort of game where you, can, you I think you, we ended up reading a lot more into it than, than than we probably expected because it was actually quite a a good game, an intense game, but. You get to penalties, and I don't think it really matters at that point. So I thought most of the penalties from Liverpool were good. Um, so Liverpool don't have the Community Shield. They do have the Premier League, however, and it starts again on Friday night. Josh, newly promoted Norwich. Does the fact that this is the opening game play any sort of part in mentality or putting on a show or making a statement, or is it going to be Jürgen Klopp will have them focused from the off to just play their regular game? I think it plays a part in terms of you 
you almost don't know what you're up against. Uh, you know, there's not much there to analyse in terms in terms of previous games. We only know knowledge from pre-season and when they're going to dominate a completely different league. So we we ultimately have no idea how they're going to adapt to Premier League football if they're going to change tactically, you know, whatever it may be. So it makes a difference in that regard. But I think from a Liverpool perspective, it's very much about just you know it's at Anfield. The opening game against a newly promoted team, I think it's reasonable to suggest that if you play your own game to a certain degree, you're going to win, really. Um, I don't think there's that much to worry about, providing, you know, we're 90% at least, and, and we seem to be, certainly over the course of the past year, when it comes to Premier League football, we seem to be really focused, really on it. Don't seem to have any, I don't think we've had any defensive any bad defensive game really over the course of the past year, even the matches we've drew, the one that we lost against City, we 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 don't seem to have got away with much defensively. We seem to just be extremely defensively good. We've obviously got at least two of our three usual attackers. Casey maybe will even start just because we we might want to compensate for that the, the lack of money. But I don't think it's it's I don't think there's that much to worry about. The only uh, the only thing I'd say is. As I said, you, you you maybe know a bit less about them, so the analysis maybe comes into it a little bit less because you ultimately don't know what to expect. So, I suppose, if they don't know much about Norwich, I don't know how much you do, Josh, but, you know, Fark, let's have a look at a little bit of what they've done over the summer. Um, it's important to, to say that, yeah, they, they won the, the championship, they were the best team in the championship, I think. Um, statistically, Leeds, Leeds were the best, but Norwich were... You know, very good nonetheless. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say they, they didn't deserve to come mm. up or something like that. They were very good. I thought he's yeah. just not allowed to get promoted. Just, just no, the Leeds rule. Just, yeah. um, <laughs> just, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, Leeds just done this, the standard analytics thing whereby you take plenty of shots yourself and you restrict the opposing team to taking very few. And just for whatever reason, they just fell off at the end. Sadly, I, I would have liked to have seen them come up, to be honest, but. I think they go up with 100 points this year, personally. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all. Um, but back to Norwich and Fark, he's kept faith in his guys, um, which is, let's say, the anti-Villa and the anti-Fulham um, approach to the transfer market. But it's interesting, he's put a couple of lads from the, the Bundesliga um, for not much money, to be honest. That Josep Dermich, I remember breaking through a couple of, well, more than a couple of years ago now. Yeah. Um he was he was rated quite highly. Um he's just he's a striker. He was released by Gladbach. And Ralph Farman, who looking at pre season seems to maybe have the nod over Tim Cruel. He's a goalkeeper from Schalke. I think he might have even been in the in the Germany squad a couple of times. Um, they've also bought Sam Byram when um which seems a little bit strange to me. He's a he's a young right back. Uh, from West Ham, um, is he still young? It, he's probably about twenty six. Like everyone's young to me. I'm I'm thirty. I'm thirty two. He, he looks young. I know that. <laughs> but I'm not he came sure from he Leeds is. last year because Everton were interested. Twenty five. Twenty five. That's that's still young. Thirty's young to me. Um, and that's a bit of a strange one because they have Max Adams who's getting linked to all and sundry. Maybe that's just the case of they know Max Adams isn't going to be around much longer. Tottenham still need a right back. In the next four six hours, it wouldn't surprise me if they go for somebody like him. Um, so, what do we know about Norwich, Josh? The new guys, the old guys, the style of play. What can we what What can we expect from the Canaries? I actually really like really like Norwich. I think they're a very smartly run club. They're 
They've got a director of football at the minute. Stuart Webber. Stuart Webber. Yeah. Really, really, really good. Knows exactly what he's doing. Um, he's got a similar outlook on squad building to to, to what we've preached on this pod. Um, just very smart recruitment. And I think when, when he got promoted, he basically had the option to either do a Fulham or use that fund, use the, the promotion funds to tie down your big stars on long deals so that you're going to make long-term profits on those and um, bring in a few bargains here and there, really. And I think Schalke, I've got a really promising up-and-coming keeper. David Wagner's obviously there now. And I think they very quickly were onto that. You know, Daniel Falcao obviously mm-hmm. having Bundesliga connections. I think they they very quickly got onto the fact that farming might be available. So they got a loan. That's a clever deal for me. Damn it! I think he's had some injury issues, mm. but on a free transfer again makes sense. Patrick Roberts from City. I was, didn't put Roberts down, but he's an interesting one as well, isn't he? Well, again, he's you know virtually financial. Costs and there's virtually nothing there because he's on a loan. Uh, Sam Byron, I don't think he's going to start by any means, but I think he's just another means of getting cover for very little funds. But I think if you look at Norwich's squad, I think it's it's very sensible to to tie down what you've got there because he's got I think three of his four, three of the four defenders that play for Norwich in the first team are going to fetch really big big sums. I think in the next couple of seasons. You've got Max Adams, Jamal Lewis and Ben Godfrey. I think the oldest out of them three is 21. They're all really upcoming, progressive English talents. The kind that go for 50-odd million, usually. I don't think they'll go this summer. But, you know, whether Norwich go up or, or go down at the end of the season, I'd fancy at least... It wouldn't surprise me at all if at least two of them got got snapped up next summer after getting exposure in the Premier League. So, yeah, Stuart Webber's, you know, really, really strong director of football. Knows what he's doing. Worked his way up from the bottom. And he's in charge of the whole transfer thing and he's the reason that they haven't signed a great deal of players, but he's thinking long-term, which is the right way to go about it for me. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're very smart. He won club, but... Whether they've got enough for Liverpool, I'm not too sure. Um, they're very much a, a 4 2 3 1 team under Falke. But again, against Liverpool away at Anfield, remains to be seen whether he'll, whether he'll use that. I think they played at Atalanta in pre season. Yeah, they lost 4 1. They lost 4 1, mm. and I think they switched the formation for that. I think they played. So that's 4 1 4 1, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it was, yeah. I think that's a bad sign. Because mm. maybe that's, that's what he'll have maybe. You have one way of playing, and if he tries to, to change it up anyway, yeah. he's in trouble. Yeah, and that's why I think looking ahead to the season, I think Norwich and Villa, although they look offensive-minded and Villa have bought a ton of players and stuff like that, I think Sheffield United have got the least to do in terms of changing your style. Norwich and Villa are used to dominating matches. Um, Norwich had... Something like fifty eight percent possession that season, I think. Uh, they scored. They, their expected goals was good. They scored. They well overperformed. They're already good. Expected goals numbers. Uh, they allowed a fair amount of shots on their goal, but the shots that they allowed 
weren't clear cut. They were fairly low quality, but when you're coming up against Liverpool, that's not a good sign because Liverpool are probably going to make them a bit more clear cut. And if you're going to allow plenty as it is, you know, you're going down the route of a Bournemouth fixture there where we tend to just slaw them. So it remains to be seen. I, I like the way they run. I like what they're doing. But they couldn't have wished for the worst opening fixture day. Um, I don't think they'll be expecting to get in from it by any means. And if they're going to keep their principles intact and play the same way, it could be a cricket score. Uh, but that's again, that's no real knock on Norwich because I like what they're doing. It's just, uh, it's just not a good, a good opening fixture for them. I'd say. Just having a little look here, uh, Puki, who's the Finnish striker. Um, he was second in the championship last season in terms of expected goals and assists combined. But then you've got Hernandez and Buenadilla, um, 25th and 26th with the next in for Norwich. Don't get me wrong, they were both posting around 15 goals slash assists a season. I think that just maybe shows as well that there's still that little bit of a gap. Puki is, is the main man. Um, Buenadilla is definitely worth watching. Mm. He's, he's, he's one of my little fantasy football tips yeah definitely yeah he's, um, not at the moment because he, he won't get a touch against Liverpool probably but going forward no he's he's interesting interesting talent you he's mentioned about, him yeah he's only about like 5 foot 6 I think mm. he's, he's very small was he linked with Leeds probably yeah <laughs> Leeds was linked with everyone yeah but he's that type of player though he's very technical mm. very cute uh, intricate player and he showed up well for, for Webber on, you know, kind of a Pascal Gross metric whereby he's posted very good creative numbers for a for a bad team abroad. Mm. Yeah. Um I think he was on loan as well to somewhere even more obscure. It's worth checking that because it he was on loan. Cultural Leonessa. Yeah, there you go. I watch them often. Is that Spain still? It's still Spain. Yeah. He's Argentinian but it's it's uh, it, this is Spain, yeah. Yeah. Sort of like League One level. Yeah, but he's a really, really creative, technical player. If you look at his expected assists, being 90, he posted a figure that was, if it was in the Premier League, only six players last season with over 1,500 minutes posted a better and posted a more creative uh, figure, paying 90. Um, he might have got a bit of a boost there from set pieces. I think he takes set pieces for them. But nevertheless, I think it's, it's, it's going to be a case of if you, if you keep him quiet you'll do a lot to stop in Norwich's attack. But him being in a more technical league now with cleaner, cleaner pitches and stuff like that, it'll be interesting to see how he does. Because he, he could very, he's only 22. Um, I'm not necessarily... I don't think he'll ever be a Liverpool-type player because he hasn't mm. got the physicality about him. Same in regards to Spurs. Um, I don't think he's quite at the technical level of City, but he's the type to, to develop... You know, a bit of a following uh, if he starts performing because he's, as I said, he's a very bit like a in the mould of like a gross Delafeo type talent who can post high creative numbers at a fairly average team. So he's worth looking at for the match. You think he's worth taking care of? He usually plays on the right, so it'd be Robertson's case. But he's played minutes on the left as well, and with Trent being that, that's slightly more defensively problematic. Obviously, you get him away from Van Dijk as well. It wouldn't surprise me if Falk put him on the left. So he's up against Trent. But it remains to be seen. But he's just a talent that's worth looking at for the season and for the match at Anfield. But I'd, I'd say more so for the season. He's, 
interestingly be worth following. Just have a little look here. He represented Argentina in the Under 20s World Cup in uh, 2015. So he's, you know, again, you talk about smart recruitments. There's um, there's a bit of smart recruitment for you because yeah, he was one um, of them where like he, he's obviously gone off the radar and then he's, he's he's come back onto it. Yeah, he's one of them where you you pick up on really good underlying numbers and you pick up on a player who's maybe not getting the chance, and you almost take a punt on him. That's, mm. that's kind of the same what he did with Pugh. Yep. His career was getting on. I think Pugh is 29 now. You wouldn't really think it the way he's been getting all this hype recently mm. uh, in the past year. But as I said, just really good recruitment from from Stuart Webber. And I like what they're doing as a club, but I'm not sure what. I mean, they've had, they've had a bit of an indifferent pre season. Mm. One draw, three wins, two losses. So it's, as, as I said already, it's it's a, a difficult one to predict how they're going to be for the season because a lot seems a bit ambiguous. But I like what they're doing. I hope, I hope they stay up, if I'm honest. But because of the transition from being a dominant team to being the inferior team most weeks, I'm not sure how they're going to find that. Okay, so finally, you just touched upon sort of the wider issues of this season. So, and I know we don't really do predictions, but you know, it's the start of the season. We're going to do them. Um, just in general, we'll we'll rattle through a couple. So, who's going to win the title? City. I go for City, and I think they'll probably win it by a bigger margin than last year. Well, they, they can't not win it by a bigger margin, but... Yeah, I feel uh, I need to stress again, City are ridiculous. Yeah. They, honestly, you, you have no idea how good this team are. And I think Liverpool, don't get me wrong, in a one-off fixture, Liverpool can absolutely match them. But over the course of a full season, to expect the likes of Norwich, Bournemouth, I don't West Ham maybe, I'd, I'd, mm. just all these teams to pick up points from them. Especially now considering they're doing set piece work, now considering they've got a, an heir to Fernandinho. It's just it's almost unfair what they're doing. How many shots did he take more than their opponents? Ten is Yeah, it? so there's the, the the margin there and when you think about it. The amount of tap ins they get, the mm. rotation. It's it it's I'm a Liverpool fan, obviously, but logic just suggests that it's City are just yeah, they're gonna win it again, yeah. surely. That, that's that's what annoys me, by the way, as well. Is the is like the to... um is is the fact that they score from the set piece, but it was also the cutback. Yeah, you know, yeah. they, they managed to to, to to somehow amalgamate the two. Even when they're doing set piece work, now they managed to score it from a cutback to Sterling. You know, and he's on mark six yards out. How would you do it? Yeah, no, I'd like to say Liverpool, but just considering mm. where data focused and things like that, a lot yeah. of analytics and things, you can't look beyond City. Liverpool seconds. Yeah, yep. I think Liverpool would have to drop off a cliff to go anywhere below second, or Spurs would have to climb a Liverpool-type yeah. staircase. From what they did, season, yeah. yeah. Um, relegation. Oof, relegation. Hang on, let me get the league up. I think... I'm going to throw Brighton in the mix. I think it might be one season too many. I think they were 19th on XG last year, and I don't see how they score goals. Um, I'm going to throw Crystal Palace in there. Yeah, I think I'd go Palace... Villa and you've got a bit of a toss up then I think uh, Norwich will be down there Newcastle will be down there you really back Chef United that much? I just think they've got an extremely pragmatic realistic mm. manager um, he's just very shrewd he knows how to get results might not be the most attractive team but I just think 
they might do a bit of a card of last year whereby they're just the most realistic and best set up to to getting results in, mm. in a different league where whereby they're a bit inferior. Southampton will be down there, I think, but I like I like Arsenal a lot. Um, yeah, it's a tricky one, but I think Palace could be in. I in think Palace are, the, if, Palace are a little bet there, especially if they lose Zaha. Yeah, uh, links with Everton there, isn't he? I'm not sure if they're legit or not. Mm. And who was the other team said? Palace and um, Villa. Villa. Just think, there was a there was a point during the summer where I thought. No, Villa aren't doing a Fulham. They're not doing a Fulham. Mm. But then gradually, as the weeks have gone by, they do seem to be doing a Fulham. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it remains to be seen. It's, it's very early days, yeah. And very quickly, Champions League. Winners? Yeah. Um, Liverpool? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't I, see. Yeah. I just. I think, it's, I think we, we, we'll see how the balls come out. Um, when when it comes to the the, the the you know knockout stages, but I, I think it might be Liverpool City in Istanbul. Oh, I don't say that. I know, <laughs> but that's just my feeling. And then all the fantastic memories of Istanbul may be tainted forever. Yeah, I just think Everton Nevada's tempo, fitness, yeah. and field. Two clock. games. Two games. Don't get it wrong. Two games. Yeah. Klopp's how, never lost the knockout game with Liverpool. Yeah, how at home we feel in the competition. We just it, it, that is our competition at the mm. at the minute. So to, to knock us out of that. You're going to be a serious yeah. team. We will, of course, when the Champions League draw happens, which is the end of this month. It's, it's getting close. Um, we will obviously detail. Pot one. Pot one. Uh, Marabor is still in it. Lovely place. Let's hope they get, they get through and we get them again. Nice <laughs> little 7-0. Um, but we will be, of course, detailing all of that. So, uh, yeah, we are back, obviously. Um, we're back in the routine. Thank you very much. We will also be debuting a new video show. Um, as I said last week, the, we're, these are now being filmed, which, hello, you might be able to see us. Um, but we'll also be debuting a new, um, very, really short 10-minute, 15-minute video show uh, called Analyzing Anfield Extra Time, probably, is what we're going to call it. Um, if you want to know more details about that, follow the group on Facebook. Um, just type in Blood Red Podcast uh, there's a nice little group there there's over there's a lot of members there at the moment people talking about football people talking about podcasts in general the Blood Red ones as well as the Analyzing Anfield ones um, and I'll be putting details in, in that and obviously you will hopefully get a chance to participate and actually shape what we talk about so keep an eye on that on our YouTube channel um, keep on downloading our podcasts as well of course if you are listening to this uh, and if you're watching it on YouTube make sure you give us a subscribe I've been Christian. Uh, Josh has been with me today, as always. Uh, thank you very much. And hopefully Liverpool start the new season with a nice, easy, comfortable Friday night victory. Take care. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.